Thanks for joining us on the Father's House podcast, where we are leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus. Want to learn more about us? Check us out online at thefathershouse.com. We'd love to stay connected. Now, let's go to this week's message. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that. Thank you for the cards and gifts. You know, I'm a, uh, my love language is gifts, and so the cards and the gifts mean so much. The singing, for most of you, was very good, so I appreciate that. Turn with me to Mark chapter 2. We need to jump in here today uh, real quickly in this story of grace and truth. Who is it? Who is it? Who is it that you know? That you have no confidence whatsoever that they would ever become a Christ follower? Who is it? Who is that? We all have some. I mean, their lifestyle is so uh, far away. I wonder if, I wonder if Levi wasn't that sort of guy to the people in Capernaum. Read this story with me in Mark chapter 2, beginning at verse 13. <clears throat> then Jesus went out again by the sea, and all the multitude came to him, and he taught them. As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. And he arose and followed him. Now it happened as he was dining in Levi's house that many tax collectors, sinners, uh, sat together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. Would you underline that? And they followed him? And when the scribes and the Pharisees saw him eating with the tax collectors and sinners, they said to his disciples, How is it that he eats and drinks with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick, I didn't come to the righteous. I came to, for sinners, to repentance. Father, we thank you today that you saw us in our sin, you saw us in our brokenness, you saw us in our emptiness, and you came to where we are. So Lord, as we look in this passage today, I pray that you would stir us up, that Maybe people that we thought are too far from you, you would remind us nobody's too far for you to catch. And Lord, I pray today that you would inspire us, teach us. Lord, um, help me to say what you want me to say today. Give us understanding in your name. Amen. He was a tax collector. Now, tax collectors in that culture was equated to a harlot, a thief. They were considered traitors because they were Jewish but they turned their back on their Jewish fellow people and their culture, and they worked for the Roman government. Tax collectors received no salary from the Roman government, but the Roman government nodded their head and said, over and above the tax, the Roman tax that needs to be collected, you levy whatever you want, and it's yours. So tax collectors were very wealthy. The religious legalists would walk by and see a guy like Levi, and they would uh, have a grim face. Uh, they were a self-appointed judge to bring shame because he certainly was far away from who they were. Uh, William Barclay, a great theologian, said to the Jews, religion was a thing of endless rules. How many of you came from a church like that? 
People lived their lives in an endless forest of regulations which dictated every action. They must listen forever to a voice which said, You shall not. How many of you come from that church, you shall not? All right, I can identify with that. It seemed like everything was wrong. You don't go to movies, you don't wear jewelry, you don't wear makeup, you don't, uh, you, don't, you don't chew gum, you don't do a lot of those things. Those are all, and you come from that whole thing of, when will I ever get to the place that I keep all the rules? Jesus came to a religious system that was full of rules, and he busted it wide open with his love. So Jesus heals the paralytic, and then he walks some distance back to the seashore. He spent some time teaching there, and he comes back to Capernaum. And there he sees Levi, the tax collector. I don't believe it's the first time that he saw Levi, because Capernaum was Jesus' base that he worked out of. But in verses 13 and 14, Jesus looks at him that day and says, follow me, follow me. Uh, the word there in Greek is alakotheo, uh, uh, which is in the present imperative, and it's a command. Jesus didn't ask permission, may I ask you to follow me? He just said, follow me. And that word means to move behind someone in the same direction, to come after, to follow, to accompany someone who takes a lead and to go along with. So I look at that, and I think of all the people that day in Capernaum, why would Jesus ask Levi to follow him. I mean, there had to be more respectable type people. I mean, you're going to the very low of low, and you're saying, follow me. I want you to be part of my original 12 that's going to change the world. I mean, wouldn't you say, wouldn't you think maybe as a counselor, you might want to speak some counsel into Jesus that Levi certainly doesn't have the influence that you would need. So when I look at that, I think, well, why would Jesus call him? Well, the first thing that comes to my mind is simply because of this. Jesus specializes in rejects. Right? How many of you can say amen to that? The finger of grace comes and touches Levi. I wonder if Levi had heard Jesus preach. Maybe Levi is standing on the outskirts of the crowd because he wouldn't be welcome and people would elbow him to get back out of the way. But I wonder if his heart didn't ache with guilt, but he realized he had one of the most affluent jobs in the city. He probably had five Mercedes. He probably had three Harley Davidsons and a couple of Indians. He had a condo on the beach and he, and he, had, a be and he had a cabin in the mountains. Yet his life was not worth living. Something was missing. He was an outcast, a reject. And Jesus said, follow him. The second reason I believe Jesus would call Levi is that Jesus saw something of value in him. I don't know if you've ever looked at Michelangelo's Pieta. It's one of the miracles of artistic creation. And it actually, the legend has it that when Michelangelo first created this marble sculpture, he was not very wealthy. It was at the very beginning of his career. And he couldn't afford marble. So he would go to the area where the other artists and sculptors had rejected or abandoned pieces of marble that they didn't want to deal with because it wasn't good, and they rejected it. So he would go and find the free pieces that he could get and drag it back. And he often said, I saw in that piece of marble 
something that needed to be released. And there is the picture of that. And Jesus sees something of value in Levi. Now think about this. I thought about this this week. It never hit me before. But of all the disciples who left their past and followed Jesus, Matthew, Levi, gave up the most. Because the fishermen could always go back to fishing. But when Levi tells the Romans, I'm not going to work for you anymore, I mean, that's broken. That bridge is broken. He'll never go back. He, who had the affluence of everything, based his future on not knowing what was going to happen, just simply on following Jesus. Jesus saw something in Levi. You see, Levi walked away from a lot of stuff. But one thing he didn't leave behind. He didn't leave his pen behind. He didn't leave his pen behind. Jesus needed an accountant's mind and perception to be able to put down in writing. He needed that for somebody to write the Gospels to come alongside uh, Mark, who was a journalist, or Luke, who was a physician. Levi's strange allegiance, his, his historical background as a Jew, and his working with the Romans gave him a perspective that you see in his gospel more than anything else. In Mark, in Matthew's gospel, he's always talking about the King Jesus, the King Jesus, and the kingdom of God. So he brings a different perspective. So when Jesus walks by that day, he sees a man that nobody else wants, nobody has a hope for. He's an outcast. He's a reject. Everybody wants to walk behind him. But Jesus sees the accountant's mind the pen he knows that one day he will pick up a pen and he'll write a different of the synoptic gospels i'm so glad that jesus sees things in us that we don't even see in ourselves so now he's got an issue he goes back to his office and he's packing up stuff and one of his associates said i heard you resigned I can't believe you resigned. What are you going to do? Never heard of this. And Levi's thinking, how, 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 how can I tell people? He's never had a class in soul winning. He's never been taught theology. He just knows he's met Jesus. And so he says to his associate, Hey, I'd like for you to meet this Jesus that I know. So would you spread the word? We're going to have a party at my house tonight. And I'm going to invite my friends. You see, listen. Following Jesus doesn't mean being quarantined and forgetting about your friends. Following Jesus doesn't mean you turn your back on your friends and you say, well, I can't have anything to do with you. Look, I mean, if anything we should do is to be able to take the hand of Jesus and take the hand of a friend and link them together. So he asked his friends to come. So when Jesus gets to Levi's house, probably the nicest house in town, I mean, there are BMWs out front, Harley Davidson's, Mercedes parked out front. A bunch of the guys and the girls are drinking and smoking, probably doing more than that. Uh, some had their girlfriend from the strip club, their beer bottles and poker chips. And when you read the story in the original Greek, you find that when the religious leaders came in, they saw Jesus and his disciples in an intimate relationship with these outcasts. You see, what Jesus is teaching us is this. If you can't 
eat with someone and invest in their life and build a bridge, how do you think you'll ever win them to Jesus? Who are you building a bridge to? Who are you going out of your way for? An hour or so, the door opens. And like an icy breeze walks in the religious, pious crowd full of criticism and frowns. Jesus is hanging out with the untouchables. Beer bottles, poker chips. Look at these. That, that girl works at the strip club. This person here, that person. But it said not only Levi, but those others followed him. And the religious crowd, because they didn't like who Jesus hung out with, said, how can he eat with publicans and sinners? Jesus heard it, and he said, look, I didn't come for you self-righteous. I came for people that are hurting and broken. I'm a physician that came to bring healing, to bring healing. The second question I ask when I look at this is, do I harbor the attitude of this religious elite? Do I, as a Christian, harbor this kind of same attitude as a religious elite? We sing, amazing grace that saved a wretch like me. But have we only in mind wretches like us? That when we look at a prostitute or a homosexual, or we look at uh, uh, however you want to put that, do we think, well, <laughs> they just, you know, they just, they're, just, they're just beyond it all. It's an interesting thing, let me ask you. Which is the correct way that it should be? This person needs to behave, then they can believe, and then they can belong. If you're going to belong to us and be part of us, you've got to behave, get your act together, and then you can believe and you can belong. Or should it be belong, believe, behave? You see, what you see with Jesus is he always reached out with love and compassion and pulled the lost into him to belong. You're not an outcast, but you belong. And because of that compassion, because of that grace, they wanted to believe in this Jesus. And then when you believe in this Jesus, what do you want to do? You want to behave. The problem with some of you religious elite you get upset at sinners because they're acting like sinners. How could they look like that? How could they dress like that? How could they talk like that? How could they post like that? How could they do that? Because they're a sinner. But if I'm always looking down my nose and pushing them aside and never having compassion, what makes you think you can ever lead them to Jesus? Some of you want to clean the fish before you catch it. No. You catch the fish. And Jesus does the cleaning. You see, the reason is, Jesus is full of grace and truth. John 1 and 14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Read it with me. Full of grace and truth. <clears throat> Grace told the adulterous woman, I do not condemn you, but truth said, go and sin no more. Grace invited a swindler like Zacchaeus to lunch, but truth prompted him to sell half of his belongings and give it to the poor. 
Grace washed the gnarly feet of the disciples. Truth said, do what I'm doing. Grace invited Peter out of the boat, but truth addressed his lack of faith. Grace invited the woman at the well to drink everlasting water, but truth tactfully reminded her that she had gone through five husbands and was shacking up with a boyfriend. Jesus offered grace and truth. Too many pious religious Pharisees want to only major on truth and not grace. Some people only want to major on grace and not truth. Well, it's my choice. It's my lifestyle. Hey, it's not one or the other. Jesus was full of grace and truth. Grace to reach us, truth to tell us the truth. Aren't you thankful that happened to you? Hey, let me, let me share with you a modern-day example of that. CJ is coming at this time to share her story. And uh, CJ is one of our administrative assistants here. You see her all the time. Give her a welcome as she comes this morning. Good morning. So um, for those of you who don't know, like Pastor Terry said, I'm Christine or CJ. Um, when he was sharing his message to us in staff, I was compelled to share with him my own personal experience of that. And then he said, well, good, you're going to share that Sunday. So <laughs> here I am. Um, so I was raised in a Christian home. My dad and technically stepmom had been together since I was basically an infant. They were married when I was two. So I was truly raised in church, did Sunday school, missionettes, youth group, did all the things. Um, church was every bit of my life, but I didn't know about that relationship yet. My mother, on the other hand, was the total opposite. She never graduated high school. She smoked pot, still does to the best of my knowledge. I don't really know. Her life existence was a waitress at the Waffle House in Thomasville, Georgia. Hmm. So when I would spend time with her during the summers, it was a very different life. However, my senior year, I chose to go live with her. And dad graciously said, okay. So I left and I went to live with her my senior year. And I had, for the first time in my life, no rules, no boundaries, no restrictions. Church wasn't a part of my life anymore. Um, I wasn't doing anything wrong, but sometimes that doesn't mean you're doing anything right either. Oh, that's good. That's good. I wasn't drinking. Mm -hmm. I wasn't smoking pot, although it was offered to me by my mother every day. Um, I had greater ambitions in my life than that. So after graduation in 1996, I enlisted in the Marine Corps. And in July of 97, I found myself in a rocky relationship on deployment in California, far away from home, eating MREs and living in a tent and much to my surprise, pregnant. Mm. So I called Tina, my mother, um, unsure what I should do. Do I marry this man? Do I, what do I do? She gave me an answer I wasn't expecting. She was angry. She yelled at me, belittled me, told me how stupid I was. How could you do this? You're ruining your life. Needless to say, I was stunned, very quiet, and didn't know what to do. So for a few days, I just kind of stewed in this, not sure what I should do. We fortunately had a staff sergeant in that unit that was a Christian. And I had enough non knowledge to know to seek him out. 
So I went to Staff Sergeant Dykeman and I said, hey, I don't really know what to do. This is my background. And his words were, go talk to your parents. Mm. I was like, uh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, they raised me in church and yeah, the one who doesn't yeah. go to church yeah. chewed me up and spit me out. I wasn't going there. So a couple more days went by and I finally got up the nerve to make the walk to the comm center. Remember, this is like pre-cell phones. We didn't have them in our pocket. So I made the walk to the comm center and in a very shaky voice, told mom when she answered that I needed to talk to her and to dad and I needed them to listen and I didn't want their opinion. So I began my tale of woe and I waited and braced myself for the yelling but it never came. Mm. Instead, on the other hand, I heard a bit of joy. Were they actually celebrating? I was very confused, to say the least. So I asked, hesitantly, you're not mad? You don't think I've screwed up? You're like, like I'm gonna be okay? And the words that they said changed my thinking and started me on the track back. Um, they said, yes, they wanted better for me. Yes, they raised me better. Yes, they knew that I knew better, and they had always hoped that I would make better decisions. But they reminded me that it could be forgiven. Wow. They wow. reminded me that they loved me. Yeah. And that they would be there for me, and they would walk me through this, and that I would be okay. Wow. Wow. That was a very different word from what I had heard from my mother. So needless to say, within a few months, um, I was back in church. I was married. My husband had gotten saved. And by the time my daughter was born, we were able to lay the foundation for awesome. a God-centered home. Awesome. Nothing was perfect. I still needed grace each and every day. And unfortunately, um, you know, life isn't always great. Found myself post-divorce several years later. Um, due to wounds and hurts, I found myself in an almost eerily similar situation. And I was broken at the altar thinking, I thought I got this right. I thought I knew what I was doing. I thought I knew better. And again, someone loved me enough to give me grace, wow. remind me that God had a purpose and I had wow. to figure it out. Wow. And because of those two distinguished moments of grace and then walking me through that truth, Good. I was able to start doing the things to really get on the right track, to build that relationship with God, to make connections with people who would be there to carry my mat when I needed it carried, yes. like you talked about last week. But had I not been given that grace and truth, had all I heard was my mother's voice of, how could you do this? You messed up, you screwed up. But that's all I let myself hear. I wouldn't be here. Yes. So you have to remember, the one thing I learned the most is it's not enough to give the people in your life grace when they mess up. It's not okay to just say, oh, it's okay, honey, we forgive you, it'll be fine. Yeah. You have to love them enough to tell them the truth Boy, that they good. don't want that's to hear. Good. That's good. And then be willing to walk through it with them. Wow. That yes. is the only reason I'm here yes. and that's the only reason my yes. life has changed. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you. Thank you. Wow, I don't know about you, but I'm glad that somebody offered grace and truth, aren't you? Wow, wow. Uh, Tony Campolo, who's a great evangelist, tells a story of 
going to Hawaii to speak and a five-hour time change. So it's three o'clock in the morning and he's wide awake and he uh, doesn't know what to do. So he goes to a, tries to find a local diner that's open at that time and grab a cup of coffee. He goes into the diner and it's, he said it's a sleazy, ugly one. And he said, I didn't even want to touch the menu because it was so dirty. But he said, I was sitting there at three o'clock in the morning, ordered a coffee and a donut. About 3.30, getting ready to uh, eat the donut, in walked about eight or nine uh, rambunctious prostitutes that had just finished their night work. He said, I felt very uncomfortable as I was the only person in there besides the owner and his wife and all of those prostitutes who were yelling and laughing and carrying on. And he said, I got up to leave because I felt so uncomfortable. And he said, I heard one of the girls say to the other one, tomorrow's my birthday. And her friend looked at her and said, well, what do you want me to do? Throw you a birthday party? Who do you think you are? And the girl said, you don't have to be mean to me. I was just saying, tomorrow's my 39th birthday. And why would I expect you to give me a birthday party? Because I've never had one a day in my life. I, I don't understand why you make such a big deal about it. And then you could just tell that it just, it just broke her heart. And, and then they went on and Tony Campolo said, I, I sat back down for a minute. And he said, I waited till the ladies left. He said, I think I had what it was a God idea. And he said, after they left, I went to the owner and his wife was there. And I said, do you know that young lady? Does she frequently come in here? They said, yeah, all those girls come in here every morning about 3.30. And he said, that girl's Agnes. Her name is Agnes. Tony says, did you hear her say that tomorrow's her birthday? I had a really crazy idea. Why don't we throw her a birthday party tomorrow when she comes in at 3.30? And the owner and his wife looked at each other and thought, well, that's really weird, but yeah, let's do it. Let's just, let's just do it. So they got the word out that the next day, the next morning, there would be a cake and they would celebrate with Agnes. So Tony Campolo got there about 2.30. He and the uh, owner and his wife they set up some crepe paper and Tony had cut out a little piece that said, Happy Birthday, Agnes. And uh, so they got ready, had the birthday cake. They dimmed the lights and about 3.30 when all the prostitutes came in from their work and Agnes was with them. As Agnes walked in the door, the others were sort of just behind her and everybody yelled, Happy Birthday! And she could see the birthday cake. Tony said she literally buckled to the floor in tears. And everybody started singing happy birthday to her. And they said, here's the cake. Let's cut it. Agnes said, would you mind? I've never had a birthday cake. Would you mind if I just take this home and cherish this? And she started to turn and leave. Tony said, I didn't know what to do, so I stood up and said, let's pray. So he said, at 3.30 in the morning, in a sleazy diner, with a room full of prostitutes, I prayed a prayer for Agnes. 
I prayed for her salvation. I prayed that God would be with her. He said, at the end of that day, when everybody started to leave, he said, the owner of the restaurant asked me, what kind of church do you come from? He said, I come from a church that's willing to throw a birthday party for a prostitute at 3.30 in the morning. Tony said, years later, I got a letter from Agnes. And she said, sir, you don't know what that meant to me. I changed my life after that, and I've never been the same because of what you did, throwing a birthday party for me. So the third thing, question I would ask today is, who does Jesus want us to bring hope to? Who does Jesus want us to bring hope to? I love the words of a young, brilliant Englishman who gave away a fortune to go to Africa as a missionary. His name is C.T. Studd. He said this, would you read it with me? Some like to dwell within the sound of church and chapel bell, but I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. Would you bow your heads with me? Father, would you awaken us as a church? Be willing to have grace and truth. Would you help us to reach out to people that we know in our world that are lost without you? Don't let us be satisfied with just ourselves. Don't let us think that somebody has to get their act together before they can ever come to you. Because you specialize in rejects. As you continue to pray for yourself, maybe you're here today and Maybe you've never invited Jesus into your heart and into your life, or maybe like CJ said, that you were maybe raised in church, but then you, uh, you kind of got away from that, maybe going a different direction. But today you feel like today's the come home day. Today's the day that you feel like you need to dedicate your life to the Lord, or maybe for the very first time today. You see, we're all born as sinners into this world, and sin has to be paid for. That's why Jesus came and he died on the cross to take your sins and my sins so that he could show up in the spirit today and knock on your heart's door and say, follow me. He doesn't ask you to clean up beforehand. He says, I'll take care of that for you. All I ask is that you let me come into your heart and Jesus can cleanse you today. So if you're here today for the very first time or rededicate your life to the Lord, and you say, Terry, would you please pray with me today with this decision for my life? Would you raise your hand and let me pray with you? Or those of you that are online, just raise your hand right where you are. I want to pray with you and believe with you today that this is the greatest day of your life, the day in which that you follow Jesus with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. Let's pray this prayer together today, Father God. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to die for my sins. Thank you you didn't give up on me, but you let, it, you let your grace and then your truth set me free. Thank you, Lord. Help me to do the same for others. In your name, Jesus. It's our honor to play a small part in all that God is doing in your life. We would love to continue with you on that journey. To find out what your next steps might be, visit thefathershouse.com slash next.
Join us next week as we continue to love God, help people, and build the